that, you know, I'm vegan because I really want to minimize the amount of harm my choices cause every day. And it's, it's not to say that you avoid creating all harm in the world. Uh, that's, that's pretty well impossible, is that there's always something harmed in a process. But the idea is trying to minimize as much as you can the amount of harm you cause and, and always trying to, to create less harm and less harm and do better and do better. And I think that's, you know, why I do it. Welcome to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. I'm your host, Pat McCauley. This podcast is all about celebrating the lives of those who have adopted a plant-based or vegan lifestyle and how it has positively impacted their health, relationships, outlook on life, and so much more. For more episodes and information about the benefits of living a plant-based or vegan lifestyle, visit eatgreenmakegreen.com. This week's episode of the Eat Green, Make Green podcast is sponsored by Darwin Clothing. Darwin makes men's dress shirts and Henleys, and I'm telling you, when I bought my first Darwin dress shirt, I will not buy any other type of dress shirt. The fit makes me look good, makes me feel good. I can wear it tucked in. It doesn't come untucked. Um, I can wear it untucked. I just love everything about it. They are handmade in Boston's South End with the best high-quality fabrics, Um, The shirts literally make six to seven hours to make per shirt. I mean, it's an incredible product. If you care about how you look, which I do, uh, I want to look and feel my best at all times, then you need to check out Darwin Clothing. You can literally go to the website darwinclothing.us and shoot Peter, the owner, a text, and he will take care of you. I mean, there is no other buying experience that comes close to that. Um, they are unbelievably made shirts, and I really recommend that if you wear a suit every day or you are more of a Henley guy, that you go to darwinclothing.us and shoot Peter a message. At the very least, he'll give you more information. Amazing local brand. On this week's episode of the Eat Green, Make Green podcast, I sit down with the compassionate and positive Michael Broadhead. I'm out in Singapore for the next few weeks, and through the connections of a previous guest on the podcast, Dan Stackhouse, I got hooked up with a number of vegans here in the country known as the Little Red Dot. Almost everyone I spoke with directed me to Michael Broadhead. Michael is the founder of the charitable organization Animal Allies, as well as a local school teacher, and is a major leader in the vegan movement here in Singapore. We talk about how Michael went from growing up on a farm in rural Canada to traveling the world and winding up in Asia, what the vegan scene is like here in Singapore, the diabetes and other lifestyle disease issues in Singapore, the future of the vegan movement in the country, and much more. Michael is one of those people who you spend five minutes with and you feel like you've known him for years. He is one of the most traveled people I've ever met, and it was an absolute pleasure getting to know him. So without further ado, the fantastic Michael Broadhead. All right, I got Michael Broadhead here. Hello. What's happening, man? Oh, we're just enjoying a nice uh, cloudy afternoon here in Singapore. Yeah, we are, for people listening, we're sitting in my hotel room. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That Michael uh, 
uh, was was nice enough to come to, and we're we're looking out the window at. Is this downtown here? Yeah, this? that's Orchard Road, Orchard uh, which is Road. The, the famous shopping street. And uh, we also have over there the Marina Bay Sands, the, the famous hotel. It was, I think, recently destroyed in the Independence Day sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been over in Marina Bay Sands. That's, that's definitely like the postcard yeah, of yeah, Singapore. Yeah, yeah. It's in the, the newest? The defining... Is that the newest portion? Um, well, I guess in terms of Marina Bay, yes, area. Of course, there's there's lots of things being built all the time here. But yeah, that, that area, uh, that's sort of the crowning jewel of their redesign of the whole Marina mm-hmm. Bay area. So we connected from uh, a guest I had on the podcast before, Dan Stackhouse, for those uh, listening. I think it was episode five or six. And um, his wife was from, ironically, from Singapore, and I was headed there in a few days, and he connected me with uh, Riza. Yep. And then Riza knew you and connected us, so kind of cool. Yeah, it's nice to to see how things connect that way. Yeah, a fellow vegan in Singapore here, and I'm fired up to talk with you. Absolutely. Um, uh, So uh, we're going to get into all things vegan, (laughs) but uh, first, can you tell us a little bit about your background? We were talking before your... Uh, from Canada originally. Yes. Um, kind of what uh, life was like growing up, where you grew up, and uh, how you ended up in Singapore. Yeah, okay. Well, um, I'll, I'll hopefully not take too long to try to, to recount my whole life there. But I did, uh, I grew up uh, on a grain farm uh, in Alberta, Canada. So I grew up on a farm. All our neighbors uh, are farmers more of grain and animals. So um, as I was a, when I was a kid, we would go to the neighbors. And so, you know, I, I I've know all of the things that, uh, you know, in terms of farmers, how they raise their animals and uh, process them, etc. And, uh, you know, I've seen over the years things change and it's become, you know, a little more industrialized and corporate driven. And, uh, you know, now around our farm, we, we sort of have, um, you know, these factory farm style um, slaughterhouses now and chicken um, sort of sheds. Uh, so that's kind of been a, a change that I've seen. Uh, but yeah, I grew up there. My family didn't raise animals um, on the farm. Uh, we were purely grain farmers, but um, they now raise beef um, cattle. So they started that when I was in university uh, as a way that they started diversifying their their farm. And uh, yeah, so essentially I, I grew up uh, on a farm in a very small community in Alberta, Canada. And then I ended up uh, sort of always wanting to get away and, and see the world a little bit more. So I, uh, after I finished university studying education, I flew over to the UK and I got a job there. Uh, did that for a year, really enjoyed uh, exploring the the sort of living history there because when you grow up in Canada, you don't have castles, you don't have, you know, that, that living history uh, there. So when I was there, I really tried to, to go out all the time to, to different places and uh, I eventually um, ended up going back to Canada for a couple of years before heading out to Taiwan to teach. And I enjoyed that. Uh, I sort of broke it up. Uh, I was in Taiwan for two years, but I did one year in between traveling. And that was the time where I became vegan. Before that, I was uh, a meat eater, heavy meat eater. And uh, after Taiwan, I went to Beijing. And then I ended up in Singapore, uh, where I've been now for about four years. And uh, this is where really I've started to, I guess, um, 
become more active in terms of spreading veganism, inspiring people, that kind of stuff. Cool. So that's an awesome story bouncing around from country to country. <laughs> yeah. And is this all because of your teaching jobs? You're just getting different teaching jobs in, in London and in Taiwan and all these places? Yeah, I've, I've been teaching in all of them. So as an international school teacher, you do have these opportunities to, to hop around from place to place. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough, really, and privileged enough to be able to travel now qu quite extensively. And so now I've decided that uh, I'm at the phase of my life where I'm settling down. And so now I'm not really planning to leave Singapore. This is why I'm starting various projects here that are long term. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of happy where I am now. Very cool. So you said in Taiwan you made the switch? To um, so it was kind of in between. So so I taught a year in, in Taiwan, and then I really wanted to do a backpacking trip. Um, originally, I wasn't even going to go to Taiwan. I was just going to do a backpacking trip, but it kind of fell apart. So I ended up, uh, instead of doing a backpacking trip right away, teaching first. Um, but then I, I felt, okay, you know what, I want to go backpacking. So I, I did that for about a year. I backpacked various countries in Southeast Asia and India. And it was when I was in India... Uh, that I ended up um, discovering veganism for the first time. And that's when, you know, I, I, I sort of changed. And so after that point, I went back to Taiwan, etc. But since that point, and that was in 2010, um, I've been vegan since then. And what was, so you discovered veganism in India? Yeah, yeah. So how'd you discover it? And... You know, what was, what was the spark? What was kind of, when did the light go off? How did it go off? And... Yeah, it was it was kind of uh, very unexpected. So, like I said, I was a very heavy meat eater, and you know, I grew up in the area where you know it's just normal to to be raising animals and and all that kind of stuff for food. Uh, so I and I had a best friend who was vegetarian in university, and it never, even though she was you know bringing up these things, uh, it never really got into my skull at all um, to to think about it in any any sort of meaningful way. But when I was in uh, doing my backpacking trip, it was really also a, a process of discovering myself. Uh, so it was really like this being very open-minded, discovering new ideas, new cultures, etc. And so I was in the right mindset, I think, and that helped a bit. But I was in uh, a, a province, um, uh, Kerala province in southern India, and I was in this... Uh, this sort of sea seaside uh, village, and uh, it was you know, I was just having dinner with a random traveler that I had met, and this traveler said that she had just come from this reforestry project called Sadna Forest, and that uh, she said it was a pretty unique and cool experience. And uh, the more she talked about it, the more I felt that oh, that sounds like something that would be interesting to to go and try out and do some volunteer work. So after after that, I kind of uh, meandered my way over there over the next couple of weeks and uh, ended up in Sadna Forest. And when I got there, um, I guess just uh, it, it basically the the context of it is the local population has been having trouble in the last uh, last while growing food because they um, they overgrazed the soil and so the soil um, was now eroding away and every time there was a monsoon rain all the new topsoil was being washed away and, and so you know it was just causing uh, poverty 
So this group here, um, they, they set up, and it's uh, a foreigner that started it up. I think he, he's originally from Israel. Uh, I can't remember, but I think so. And uh, so he set up, and it's all built out of bamboo and, you know, the solar panel power and all this kind of stuff. Very green, very sustainable thing. And uh, bringing in different volunteers to essentially um, go on the, on the hillsides and um, dig pits and build buns, which are just like these raised soil edges um, so that you sort of ring those around the, the hills. So whenever it rains, um, the water can't just flow straight down. It collects in the pits you dug, and then those buns actually stop it from forming streams and, and cutting through the through the hillside. So it starts to, and then you start planting, you know, there as well. And so then the roots start growing, and um, then it, it starts to actually solidify the topsoil, etc. So they've actually raised, uh, but when I was there, they raised the the water table of the area several meters uh, in, in, through their work, and there was a lot more greenery going on. So I was happy to to do all of that, um, but while I was there, and I, I you know, I didn't really uh, know this for sure going in, but when I was there, the food was all vegan, and uh, so you know, I was like, oh, like I was open minded at that point, and I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try, um, and. But through the process, you know, I was also trying to figure out, you know, why, you know, why is this vegan and what's what's sort of the reason, trying to understand the philosophy behind the place. Now, now are you in a rural, pretty rural Yeah, area? yeah, it's a rural area. Yeah, yeah it's in the middle of nowhere. It's, um, you you kind of get off a bus uh, at the side of a, a road. Um, you know, it's not a bus stop. So you just tell them, you know, the bus driver, let me off here. And then you let them know you're coming and they send somebody with a scooter and they drive yeah. you in the rest so of the way. You know, it's 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 out there and it, it really helps, you know, the locals. It's, it's really, you know, integrated with, with help this local population so so they're eating meaningful. vegan though because it's all they can afford and grow and live off of right so so most of the volunteers in this are are not locals the most of the volunteers are actually foreigners uh, mm. that come in and our goal is to help um, the locals so so this was um, what uh, so so the the founder he uh, I think his name was Avaram um, he had a night there with a Q&A session um, and so well, the question that I asked was why is it vegan because I didn't understand that. And uh, he pointed out that if you look at global deforestation, uh, he said that the major driver is, um, you know, animal agriculture, meat production. And uh, so that was the first time that I sort of realized that there could be a connection between sustainability and food. You know, there's like this this blind spot that I'd never really thought of. And he said, you know, essentially we're, we're doing reforestry work here. We're planting, you know, to, to restore this. Uh, you know, if we're going to eat meats, you know, we're going to end up cutting down more trees indirectly than we're going to end up planting here. Mm -hmm. So it makes no sense. We might as well just stay home. Uh, and yeah, that, that really got me thinking. And, uh, you know, I started then researching and finding, well, yeah, you know what, the, the data is out there, especially in the, in the Amazon rainforest, uh, which is, you know, as an, you know, I'd like to call myself an environmentalist at the time. And, you know, that really kind of spoke to me. And then I started looking up more. And finding that it had, you know, very, very clear connections to climate change, you know, and then I, you know, the more you research, the more you find out that it's really connected to every major environmental problem facing the planet today is how we're feeding 7 billion people. 
and the you know the inefficiency of of going one more step up the food chain so that was a very uh, big revelation to me, and that was sort of the first thing that got me to think, wow, okay, these people, you know, have a reason for this. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's be, it moved beyond that. Uh, so that was sort of, you know, one pillar knocked away, you know, it was like, okay, sustainability is, you know, one mm-hmm. reason, you know, I shouldn't eat meat, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, the, you know, another pillar that was, you know, because I didn't want to, you know, stop necessarily eating meat, uh, you know, I was trying to find reasons, of course, to stay eating meat and all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, the next thing, uh, I don't know what, what uh, you know, I think it was uh, the next night or, or somewhere around there where we watched a documentary um, called The Cove. And that's about the dolphin slaughter in Tianjin uh, in Japan. And so we watched that film and I was really, you know, I hadn't really seen, you know, animals being slaughtered that like it, but filmed in that way, you know, like I'd seen animals be slaughtered growing up. In, in, in Alberta and you know like one memory I have from Alberta is when I was a small kid uh, we were butchering chickens um, and while the adults were butchering and, and us kids were, were standing around watching and I remember that they cut the the head off this one chicken and it started you know its whole body was you know sort of jumping around uh, you know um, without its head and it happened to just kind of follow me like it, it kind of bounced towards me and then I'd try to walk away in another direction and it would kind of flop in the same direction and it, it, it kind of cornered me behind some barrels and I, I remember that quite vividly because I you know was trying to sneak past the, the barrels to get away but eventually stopped hopping around and so I'd seen that but the you know I now realize that you know it's when when you see the when you're a kid and all the adults around you are doing that and they're normalizing it and all those kinds of things you don't see it necessarily as uh, you know where you don't see it for the horror it really is mm. um, even though you know as a kid uh, even in that in the area I grew up you know there's a lot of hunting as well I never was a hunter and uh, I never slaughtered any of the animals either I always you know kind of didn't like those kinds of things but going uh, you know to, to seeing in the cove where you're seeing that you know that these are people who are trying to portray you know the animal as you know its own being and you know that what's happening to it you know there's an element of cruelty and then it also has that connection with dolphins because you know a lot of people even though they eat meat they care about dolphins and i think that that played a role for me as well was like you know what's here these very intelligent dolphins and seeing you know what's going on so anyway it it's really moved me and then we led into a post movie discussion and the discussion, you know, one of the questions was, you know, why do you feel compassion towards these dolphins, but not the compassion towards a cow or a chicken? And, you know, it was like, for me, I'm a very logical person. I teach science and I, I try to mm. really be logical about a lot of things. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, why why did I feel that way? And I kind of realized that actually I didn't feel that way is that as soon as I started thinking about it like and and I could start realizing you know what I know all these things about cows you know because I know that you know we have on the farm like pet cows sometimes you know the ones that you had to bottle feed from birth because the mother died or something like that and you, and you realize that actually they they really are moral beings they they have their own personalities and all these kinds of things and you kind of realize that you know you're in a culture where you kind of just learn to ignore that 
and then this you know if this experience was sort of making me reevaluate like what i was sort of seeing in these in these other you know animals and uh so you know that started to really make me think you know what um I don't, uh, you know, if I really love animals, which I, I said I was an animal lover, and, and when I said that, I meant it in the traditional sense that most people do, is that they love cats and dogs, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, all other animals, you know, you eat them. Um, but th- this made me really think about this idea of, you know, what does loving animals actually mean? So that led me down that moral route. But I was still, of course, trying to 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 have this, like, it's a big lifestyle change so it's like but you know what okay maybe you know it's just necessary because you know what i've been taught i need to eat meat you know like Mm -hmm. sure it maybe it's shitty that we have to kill them but you know what if we don't we're gonna die and then you know but being at the at the camp there for two weeks you know you get to meet many of these vegans and we're all doing the same physical labor work and they're they're all healthy um actually healthier because you know when in, in in north america now most people have a lot of lifestyle diseases uh so realizing you know that wow you can have so so i mean at that point when you realize it can be healthy um that's when it really hit me it's like well you know what if you can be healthy then it really is a moral choice like you can actually choose to kill these animals for no purpose other than your own maybe taste buds um mm-hmm or you can let them live. And so when that was really became clear to me, um, you know, I decided that I was going to be vegan for, for life after that. So was it on the health side? So that's the side I, I work with people to, uh, if you didn't know, to adopt plant-based lifestyles and, uh, you know, food as medicine type. Yeah, work. yeah. And uh, so it was simply a, I can be healthy. Has it transformed over the years to a, this is what's going to keep me around for <laughs> the long haul versus, you know, dying of one of these, you know, lifestyle diseases that are killing everybody that I want to talk about kind of the scene with in, yeah. in Singapore. But is it is it still for you just I can, you know, be healthy or is it, you know, this actually makes me my best physically? Yeah, no, no, it's definitely transformed. But I mean, like... You have to realize I went from being a heavy meat eater of, right. uh, but not only that, but a heavy processed food eater. Mm-hmm. And so I went from that to, you know, just kind of being the pseudo junk food vegan, um, like still like, you know, eating a lot of these processed or, you know, rip this packet open, add water, you know, type of stuff, buying all the vegan convenience products that kind of stuff and i slowly started weaning off those um and i started you know embracing this the the more whole foods plant-based diets uh you know eliminating processed foods and all that and i think that's when i really started to feel the benefits um of that because uh and then i i I also started getting the motivation to actually be more physically active whereas before that i was very much you know a, a, a couch potato type of person and uh, so, I mean, overall, I, I view it now as, you know, if you're doing the whole foods, plant-based diet and, uh, and you're doing it well, you know, you're, you're really um, sort of conscious of all the nutrients and, and what you're eating and you're eating, um, you know, not only really tasty food, but, but you're eating a, a lot of really good food, um, then it really, really makes you thrive. And mm. so now I view, you know, the, the vegan diet as a way to thrive, uh, you know, knowing what we all know about nutrition and now knowing what we have access to, you know, because of modern markets. 
this is a way to thrive uh, versus survive, um, you know. Yeah, cool, cool. So we end up in Singapore in 2013? Um, yeah, about there. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> the years are, are yeah, it must be there. Yeah. And so when you arrive four years ago, Tell me kind of what the vegan scene is here and when does um, Animal Allies come into play? Okay. Um, so back then, I mean, you're just finding your footing as well. So like I would, uh, you know, the internet uh, was just finding a few places online and trying them out. So it was nice to see, you know, I, I guess the, the major players are still almost all the same ones. Veganberg. At that time, Veganberg had a few more locations here because they had just recently launched. So I think they had four locations throughout so Singapore. So what's Veganberg? I'm, I'm like looking for spots. Oh, you know? yeah, <laughs> so yeah. So, so this is actually in the U.S. as well now. Um, uh, it's uh, a vegan burger fast food chain, essentially. Oh, okay. So it's McDonald's vegan. And uh, so the, they've, they've now jumped back to one location here and one in san francisco um so yeah that was one of them the other one is brownies ice cream so that's uh, you know vegan ice cream and it's really really good ice cream mm. that, that's the most important part of that um and then uh, living cafe which wasn't totally vegan but um it was one that had a lot of sort of vegan options and also raw vegan options um it was one of the few so there, there's a few around, but I mean, overall, Singapore has a lot of vegetarian options to begin with. There's a, there's a, a culture of the, the Indian vegetarians and the Chinese Buddhist vegetarians here. So there's a lot of vegetarian around, although um, vegan, you know, was still kind of niche. And, uh, mm. But I think now we're, we're, we've definitely seen an expansion of, of some things and we're seeing more vegan options coming up. And yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. So how does animal allies form when does it form and uh yeah talk to me about that whole okay um well i guess i i got involved first with the vegetarian society singapore here and uh, that one most of the um the executive um were vegans as well at that point so I started volunteering there a bit here and there, um, but you know there wasn't a lot of really. It, it was all purely voluntary, and there wasn't a lot of real activism going on. Mm. So it was kind of like you know, an organization that exists, but it's not really doing much um, type of thing yet. Um, it, it's kind of gone through its ebbs and flows. I mean, we we definitely had some sort of sparks of 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 sort of projects. Like we had a big MRT. Uh, poster campaign uh, where we had city hall all the posters um, about you know why um, why eat one but love the other type of stuff um, mm -hmm. we had um, a, a starter kit and we had these dvds um, all of that sort of happened um, slightly before i came and you know just after i came and then it kind of fizzled out for a bit and the you know there was kind of maybe a lack of a long-term strategy type of thing so mm -hmm. i i started you know just and then i started getting to know more people through the potlucks so the vegan potlucks were a, a way that everybody sort of got together as well as a whatsapp group and so you know for the first while i just kind of got to know people and uh you know started to get a sense of you know who were who was who were the vegans and what were they interested in in singapore and uh so i decided that um you know i guess the first thing that i really wanted to do 
um, in terms of the activism was um, Earth Fest, which was a festival, um, and it still is a festival. And this kind of drew from Beijing because when I was in Beijing, um, I was part of sort of helping um, a vegan market start up at my school because uh, Beijing was, was getting a fairly big vegan scene going. And I kind of thought that sort of community aspect was really nice, you know. And so I thought, okay, well, I kind of want to bring that to Singapore. And so, you know, I wanted to do that through the Vegetarian Society was have this festival called Earth Fest. And I wanted to highlight the intersectionality between the environmental movement and, and veganism. So mm -hmm. I wanted it to be, and for marketing reasons, uh, have it highlight the green aspect, um, you know, and then have it embody that everything is plant-based, cruelty-free mm -hmm. in, in addition to that. Um, so, so sort of make it like a comprehensive sustainability festival where it, it hits all of them. So I, I then sent, set out for about a year and a half uh, meeting different environmental sort of leaders in Singapore, getting to know them, uh, surveying different locations, and uh, eventually enough, uh, and funding vendors, and eventually enough came together that we were able to start it back in, um, what is it, 20, uh, 2015, uh, we were able to have the first festival. And uh, it went well. It was well attended. So I decided that it would do it again. So we just had one a couple months ago in, in 2017, uh, February. And then we're going to have the next one in January 2018. So it, it keeps growing and we're finding more support. And uh, it, it's nice to be able to, to get all these, because most people who come to this festival are not vegan. Um, so it's great for them to, to be able to come and, and try, because uh, we have a food fair as well as part of the festival, and have all this vegan food and, and try it out. And Singapore has a big food culture. So they actually kind of get people get kind of excited that they get to try this, you know, different type of food that mm. they don't normally eat. So it becomes a, a really, I think, nice way to to highlight, you know, the positives of veganism. It's just really good food. Yeah. And, oh, you know. <laughs> something without meat can taste good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cheese, which, right? which, you know, I, 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 I completely understand that because I used to have that mindset as well. Yep. So. Yep. Cool. Um, so being vegan in Singapore. Yeah. How much of a, a minority are you? And, you know, do you know numbers-wise kind of percentage of citizens that are uh, somewhat, somewhat at least vegetarian? Um, we do. Now, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong statistic <laughs> right now. There was a <laughs> survey that came out last, last, uh, last uh, fall. Um, I, I, can't, I think it was Nielsen that did it. Mm. Oh, geez, what was it? I want to say, oh gosh, uh, I think it was 9%. 9%, yeah. I think okay. it was 9%. Yeah. You'll have that's to decent. look it up later. I think that's decent. Yeah, it's decent. I don't Was that yeah. vegetarian or no, vegan? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but it's under 10%. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely a single digit number, right? Yeah, I have a feeling vegetarian was higher and vegan was 9. Oh. Oh, I wish I, I should know this. I really should know this. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's the only one we kind of have. And I mean that, and so, you know, Earth Fest, uh, you know, helps, you know, 
raise a profile a bit of, of or at least the awareness of veganism um although we market it more as plant-based um mm-hmm. in terms of marketing but um that's where animal allies really comes in which is to try and and highlight and expand the the awareness of veganism and and help people become vegan by by doing outreach that that inspires them you know through the environment health or uh, the moral reasons for for doing so and so that's why we started that you know in in about a year and a half ago um, january 2016 and yeah so i think that's been a very a very positive rewarding experience for everybody involved is coming together and developing these new projects and doing this outreach and i think we're we're going to see some some really amazing things come out of it in the long run and it's Events. So you mentioned Earthfest. It's also educational events and yeah, food we do. events and yeah, we're we're lucky that you know vegans are a very passionate group. So when they volunteer, you know they really put their hearts into it. And so um, you know Earthfest is our our major like national scale events you know where you have thousands of people attend but you know we we do lots of other things like we do corporate talks uh we do some school talks we do pop-ups at events uh we do a lot of social media blasting as well um you know p- uh, targeted uh, ads through that as well as adwords um, mm-hmm. we do some targeting through there developing resources like we we worked with animals australia um, on a starter kit for Singapore and so we work on distributing that uh, so that people can actually because we kind of know the research you know what difficulties people face um, in, in trying to transition cut back etc so we try to to develop those resources and and also our website um, we try to put a lot of resources on there to help people and try to make it very practical and yeah there's there's many other things that happen sort of behind the scenes as well so we have you know people writing into the media and doing pitches to the media and we have some engagement with the government and and stuff like that so there there's a lot of things that go on um that that people may not be aware of unless they're volunteers yeah so that's a great lead-in um in terms of the government uh being supportive of what you're doing um and they're kind of, to get into the health side, kind of the dietary guidelines that they set uh, for the population and things like that. <clears throat> in the U.S., it's very much, um, the government's very much entrenched in um, the meat and dairy industry, uh, as well as the pharmaceutical industry. So there's a whole economic side to it. And, you know, if you go on American Heart Association, uh, the U.S. website, um, you know, they still have, you know, meals, recipes with meat in it. And, uh, same with, uh, you know, the, I don't even know the name of the site, but the diabetes one for the U S and all these, they still have meat and cheese and, and things like that. And in the meals they recommend, and, you know, they still, even in like the food triangle still have like a portion of animal products and things like that. And, um, and it really is to me, at least no question that, you know, I, I would rather, you know, smoke a pack of cigarettes a day than, <laughs> than eat meat at every meal. And I mean that, you know, and it, it's really like with the stats and the, in the, you know, what we see from the health side nowadays, like it's, it's very clear to me that, you know, if you don't want heart disease, you, you shouldn't eat that. Um, and, but because of the economic relationship of the government and, you know, these big industries, 
uh, they're never going to say, don't eat it or don't do this. Um, so what's it like in Singapore with uh, the government? Uh, do they support kind of the vegan movement? Maybe from a green standpoint they do, but um, do you want to get into that a little bit? Um, so I think that, you know, we're trying still to to understand. So there, there's several, several ministries here. Um, so, so you know, we, we try to go from it, you know, from a green angle, uh, from a health angle, mm. um, because those are the two where the government uh, ministries have certain goals. Okay, so, so um, if we start with the green, you know, th- there's there's a few agencies and uh, under under ministries here that that try to work towards that, and we're still kind of evaluating that. But but on the green side, they they recognize that you know eating uh, meat is a contributor to say climate change especially mm-hmm. um, but they so far don't advocate um, I, I mean they've done very small scale advocation of reduction of meats uh, through their social media mm-hmm. um, through just sharing images um, but if you go to their website they, they currently say you know um, for their frequently asked questions is uh, that or they essentially say the diet is a personal choice yeah and so they they don't tell people what to do and so eventually you know we're, we're going to work on them because um, you know it's not really in line with a lot of other sort of things that the government advocates here which is all behavior based which is they try to get people to take more public transit that's a behavior they want to get them to smoke less that's a behavior so mm-hmm. you know we, we really want them to realize that you know we're, we're about just helping people make educated choices you know just educate people about the sustainability aspects of this uh, so that they can make an educated choice uh, because you know if you're unaware we know there's an awareness gap uh, then they can't make that more sustainable choice and you know singapore uh, does import you know rainforest beef and stuff like that so it is all connected uh, in different ways so on on so on that side um, we're we're sort of I guess waiting until we have volunteers that really want to challenge them on that. We're working on a position paper right now. Um, we're going to see you know when it's finished how we can best use that. Um, but the nice thing about the government here is that they're very data driven and they're and they're not they're they're not at the mercy of of what you're describing the U.S. of the lobbies mm. to that extent. Right. Um, so. So I think, you know, and here they, they very much realize that sustainability is, is a major concern. So I think that we will eventually see, you know, a little bit more movement towards, you know, looking at, at diet. Uh, on, the health, uh, on the health side, so there's a couple um, again, and uh, we're, work, we're sort of waiting for their reply on what is their official sort of position on plant-based diets Mm -hmm. and they they haven't given us uh, an official reply yet so we'll see what comes back there but um, we're working on another position paper for that and and we've met with with one of the um, sort of agencies already once on this and uh, I'm thinking that you know a lot of the goals especially here in Singapore right now we have uh, a war on type 2 diabetes Mm -hmm. and so you know 
we're sharing research with them that shows, well, you know what, if, if you want to reach your goal, then, you know, educating people to eat less meat and more whole plant-based foods is going to help you reach your goal. So, you know, eventually we're hoping to, to build a, a good working relationship and help them reach their goals um, in, in terms of public health. Uh, and uh, I think they're a little bit, you know, concerned because the lifestyle diseases that are um, becoming more predominant are, are putting a, a big strain on their on their health system eventually. Mm-hmm. So they really are in a in a you know they're, they're really interested in prevention, uh, and so hopefully yeah. we'll be able to help them a bit yeah. more with that. That's good. So I saw I was looking up some stats. Singapore is second to the U.S. in diabetes. I yeah, believe. Uh, uh, it could or be at least type two. Um, it could be yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe that's the stat. You know, it's so, high. Yeah, of course is, the U.S. You know, yeah. U.S. Is, is number one by far, but uh, yeah, I think Singapore was was number two. Um, I also saw, you know, typical kind of. I was you know looking at all the top disease related causes of death in Singapore. Yeah, um, and it was kind of the usual players: uh, heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, and uh, one I saw up there though that um, is definitely less common in the U.S. is pneumonia. Okay. Do you know anything about why pneumonia is more, uh, people are more prone to pneumonia here? Do you know I, anything about that? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, uh, I believe that pneumonia is usually um, a cause of death that's usually secondary to some other, you know, usually old age type of thing you get uh, yeah. when your immune system is down. So uh, maybe a signature of the aging population. I'm not, not quite sure, but okay. yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's not like people, healthy people are dropping due to ammonia. It's, yeah, I yeah. think it's more of a, a secondary, you know, infection or something that comes about. Yeah. Yeah. So on the on the healthcare front the US they have their problems but they also have the infrastructure yeah. to deal with you know millions of millions of people that are you know having heart attacks and having strokes and um, you know living with diabetes and and all these all these diseases does Singapore have that infrastructure we're looking out the window to like <laughs> it's like I look out and it's like Dubai you know <laughs> like yeah it's yeah. very much uh, very much one of the first of all one of the cleanest cities I've ever been in my life of course yeah uh, just gorgeous everything is like there's no like bad area of walkthrough or anything yeah. like that there's no like skid row like you see in LA exactly. or anything like that it's just gorgeous. But um, do they? It, it it looks like they have the infrastructure, but I don't know. Do they have the hospitals? Do they have the healthcare uh, to deal with? Kind of. I mean, it's obviously these diseases are obviously on the rise, correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the hospitals here are are beautiful and they're really high quality. So they definitely have, you know, the infrastructure. And uh, but of, but I the the nice thing again here, the government is very forward thinking, and they then because it's been a a strong government in terms of. Um, leadership but also like length of like the 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 current party has been in power for for decades uh, since the formation essentially of singapore Mm. and so as a result of that continuity you know they've they they have long-term plans that span decades and and that's how you end up with such an organized city like this and so because of that sort of culture of forward uh, thinking and also the very low corruption which is again one of the the hallmarks of of singapore is, is how they they prevent their their politicians from being corrupted mm. um you know is that there that's why we're going to probably see them 
try to do more on diet. I mean, the, for the war on diabetes, they're already telling people to eat more fruits and vegetables. Right. But they don't include in that message less meat at the same time. Right. But I think over time we're going to see, as as they realize the data points towards this, and as we we try to help them, you know, think about these things, and we're going to see it, it play into their long term strategy for preventing disease. Um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a very logical government here. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so foreign to you know <laughs> Donald Trump, you know, back home coming out and saying like you know, climate change isn't a real thing. Like our president doesn't believe <laughs> climate change is real. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. You, yeah, you, you kind of wish you, you know, you would wake up and it was all a dream, but, uh, you know, it kind of puts the, the onus on the rest of the world to try and yeah. uh, Step mobilize <laughs> a little bit more to make up for the lack of progress that's going to happen for the yeah. next while. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Singapore is definitely not in that camp whatsoever. The, the government is very much behind, um, you know, mm. reducing its carbon intensity. Whether it'll That's be great. enough, it's hard because Singapore is very land scarce. Uh, it's 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 done some studies on you know um, solar. The, the issue here is you can look out the window here. Singapore is a very vertical city. Mm -hmm. The population density is very high, so you don't have enough roof space to supply the energy demand. But but they're still gonna. I think their goal is to to have about thirty percent solar. Um, you know, supplying the energy, and so then they've they've also been looking at solar on the oceans uh, and then having it come in. Um, haven't heard anything positive from those trials that they've done. So so either either they're still doing uh, trials or or it didn't work. Uh, they also said there's just not enough, you know, wind here, uh, consistent wind to make uh, you know wind technology right. viable. So it, it comes down to Singapore, maybe, you know, one of those countries because of the way it's it's organized that, you know, it's never going to be truly um, renewable uh, in terms of its energy generation. And uh, it may be one of the few countries that, that is a good candidate for, for nuclear power, um, you know, or, or nuclear fission power. Um, in the meantime, just to reduce that carbon intensity, because here we, we burn mostly natural gas to, to mm. supply most of the energy. And uh, as a result, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, that's a, the cleanest burning fossil fuel for energy generation, but it's not, not sustainable in the long term. So, yeah. so I think they're, they're exploring options for nuclear because, yeah, that's just, you know, one of the, this is the nature of, of the population density here. Yeah. So you mentioned land scarce, which yeah. is an obvious one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it feels like the, you know, this is my second second time here, and it feels like the city is the country. Um, yeah, it is. Yep. So where where are we getting all this meat? Um, obviously, you know, the U.S. A, a third of the U.S.'s land yeah. is used for, you know, raising livestock, which is just absurd. Yeah. But um. And in half of half of the entire country's water supply, yeah, is used for raising livestock. It's just like those numbers are insane. So where are you know? I don't see any farms. <laughs> Not that I've been to the very outskirts <laughs> of Singapore, but yeah, you know where where's the meat coming from? Uh, so if you're talking about meat, um, we import chicken and beef um, from so, as far away as South America. 
Um, but we also have other others as well. So if you go to animalallies.sg, we have a fax page, and then you can actually see where we're importing from mm-hmm. uh, and the list. But um, in terms of chicken, um, a lot of the chicken is actually coming over uh, the bridge from Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have some some very large scale factory farms they're building over there that kind of stuff um, but we also do have um, a few chicken farms left on singapore here uh, most of the chickens um, that are coming in are live tra- uh, live imported uh, so we do have quite a few slaughterhouses mm-hmm. uh, and so i think you know there's six or so million chickens slaughtered every year uh, in the in the abattoirs here um, for um for let's see here for pig uh, for for pigs there there is an island in indonesia um that is actually the a company bought this island and it's just a pig farm and, and a few other other things on it uh, and so those pigs are live uh, imported uh, almost daily and then we have one pig slaughterhouse that, that processes those pigs yeah, so that's, uh, so I mean, much, it's imported. I mean, yeah. it's mostly imported except for chicken. Uh, there's a few still still happening and, here. And pretty much everything is imported in terms of food and plant-based as well? Yeah, so, I mean, there are a few organic farms uh, over there. Um, some of the land is being reclaimed or redeveloped for other reasons. Those farms may shift, they may not. Um, you know, it is a fairly land-scarce area. There is um, a lot of push towards vertical farming now, and, and like just more less soil based farming, more yeah. more the the high, the high tech type of farming. Uh, so so that's what we're probably going to see more of in Singapore is is trying to see these you know these vertical towers that can grow a lot more vegetables and things like that. So that's where we're at now. Um, I'm hoping that you know we're going to start seeing some sort of interest and investment in the sort of the lab grown meats uh, to try and yeah, sure. and have you know Singapore grow in in its bioreactors uh, that it, that it could hopefully create uh, you know and and supply some of the meat here in a, a more environmentally responsible and uh, a way that causes less harm to animals yeah do they have do they import any of those products like the US has beyond meat and they have uh, there's a couple other pretty big players that are starting to do it uh the lab grown meat uh isn't anywhere but the u.s right now um to my to my knowledge yeah yeah so all we have really are the sort of like impossible or sorry uh beyond meat which has like some of the plant-based burgers yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. which uh so some of those end up over here but you know by the time you you import those things though the carbon footprint is quite high so it's like asia really needs its own solution you know to these types of things and more localized production that kind of stuff Uh, what's your what's your take on that um versus you know just having you know alternative foods what's your take on kind of the fake meat if you want to call it that like i personally like it's not in my diet because you know i it's still like a processed food and yeah um but what's your take on it like i know a lot of the population at least in the u.s We'll never give up meat. They yeah. just are stubborn. They are stuck <laughs> in their, their ways. They don't care about their health. They won't give up meat. Uh, you know, the you give them all the facts. You give them the facts about, you know, the three pillars that we touched on, right? Health, planet, animals. Give them all the facts and it, they, it still doesn't phase them. Yeah, yeah. So kind of the, the products like Beyond Meat and uh, 
the other kind of meat alternative brands that are starting to emerge are a means of getting people to have another option. So when you sit down at the restaurant, you have the steak or you have the environmentally friendly steak, essentially, yeah. <laughs> right? And the decision, you know, a lot a lot more people are, are more willing to, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get the steak that's better for the planet versus, you know, I'll just eat vegetarian or vegan, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's definitely because knowing, you know, my transition as well is that those kinds of things help people when they're trying to cut back. So I think they have a role in the market and I think they bridge people towards what is more optimal, what I evolved into over time, which is the whole foods plant-based diet. But I think, you know, for those definitely have their place. And, you know, even now uh, they're good for, you know, every once in a while you do want some comfort food or you want to go to have a barbecue and you want to have some of those things that you grew up with a bit more. And so every once in a while you'll have those things that they're nice to have. But, you know, I think um, the the idea of mock meat and fake meat, the, the idea is that the people that, you know, we know that will never give up meat, um, you know, they don't want mock meat necessarily. They they don't they, they want real meat. So I, yeah. this is where the lab grown meat comes in, where exactly. it's real meat. Yeah. yeah, give give you what you want, but in a way that doesn't cause the rest of us to pay the price. Uh, you know, environmentally yeah. um, for for your choice, that kind of thing, and you know, ultimately the the projections are that really you'll be able to produce it for cheaper than any factory farm could do. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the goal is to make factory farms obsolete. And, yep. you know, and I and I think, you know, some of the preliminary sort of market research that they're doing in the U.S. is, is quite good is that, you know, I think they said about 30% of people said they would be open to trying the clean meat mm-hmm. um, without being fed any information first. Uh, so that's that's a good start. Um, but then after they told people more about it, you know, it shot up. It was I think sixty or eighty percent. It was it was a major jump up. Yeah. So you know the idea is you know most people I think if you say here's the exact same meat you know but it's more sustainable and you don't have to kill an animal for it. You know, and and potentially they can make it healthier as well because they can, you know, engineer it and, and remove some of the, the things that are, are triggering the lifestyle diseases. You know, it's really a no-brainer at that point. And so I think we'll see a fast shift, you know, when we're able to raise that to an industrial scale. Um, and then, you know, those farms will just sort of cease existing and uh, that can be the end of end of that chapter so i think that will be a major focus of all of us animal rights advocates over over the next few decades is um, really getting the the lab grown meats um, to to scale yeah so it seems even more so in singapore so to touch on kind of uh the animal side a little bit more and is that is that primarily your your kind of angle with it or your approach to it i know it's the whole big picture but um is that like your your business's animal allies right well it's, uh, not, so, it's a charity yeah uh, yeah so charity. It's, yeah, yeah 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 and uh well i mean so so the way we're, we're a purely voluntary organization we're not like you know, the big players like animals yeah. australia mercy for animals etc so essentially we meet once a month and you know we throw ideas out there and people who have the time and the passion for something, you know, 
say I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then sometimes a few people say that, that they want to work on the same thing. So they form a group and they work on that. And then sometimes we throw an idea up there and nobody wants to do it. Yeah. And that's just the nature of a voluntary organization. And uh, so, so that's where we're at. And yeah. so it kind of depends. You know, I, I'm right now, I'm very motivated on this aspect of, um, you know, this, this clean meat revolution. And yeah. so I'm starting to, you know, pitch to the media here and stuff like that to try and start covering this. And I'm starting to learn a little bit more about some of the um, sort of investment landscapes, uh, you know, like, mm. you know, how do you get something like this, you know, going in Asia? You know, it's, I kind of just do it on my own time because I have the, the full-time job outside that. But, you know, any little bit I can help I kind of try to yeah to do so it seems like Singapore is even kind of further removed from seeing what's behind their food if you know what I mean so like we all when we sit down to our steak when we sit down to our chicken sandwich or uh you know bacon and egg sandwich or, or whatever we're eating the connection between the fact that you're eating an animal that was, you know, tortured and, and slaughtered um, is not there. Now, in the U.S., if you want to go see that, you can go see it. You know, if you want to visit a farm, you know, there's places, you know, in every state, there's farms in every state that you can go, you can see a pig, you can see a cow. Um, you know, when I kind of, you know, put the full picture together personally um, on the animal front, it was because I went to a farm. You know, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up sort of uh, in, the, in the suburbs of, a, of Boston, of a, of a pretty big city. And, you know, farms were, farm animals were not something I grew up with. I, you know, didn't ever think about it, right? But once I went, um, and I had been vegan for health reasons for, for a while, but once I went and I saw a pig come up to me and a cow come up to me, you know, wagging their tails, just like a dog, just yeah. like any animal. And it clicked with me and it was just like, wow, like I can't, I just couldn't believe that, you know, I had blindly eaten them for so many years. Um, but my point is if you want to go to slaughterhouses, if you want to go to farms and interact with these animals in the U S you can, if you, you know, most people don't, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> like if you really want to find out and do a little research for yourself and go pet a pig and see how cool it is and see that it's probably smarter than your Labrador or whatever, yeah. um, that you can do that. But in Singapore, because everything's imported, these, you know, there's very few kind of farms and slaughterhouses, um, you know, how, how are you with your with animal allies, how how do you get that message out there that look that perfectly packaged steak with you know truffle butter and a side of potatoes yeah. is is a beautiful animal? How do you how do you get people to make that connection um, because they can't go experience this you know in their backyard? Yeah, it's it's very tough here because you're you're far removed from all sorts of food production, whether it's meat or plants. I mean, uh, the, if you show them things that are growing in the garden they won't be able to identify them you know in the, in their rows before they're picked that kind of thing mm. um so i mean it, it's 
there is a, a nature deficit disorder of, of, of extent when you're in a big urban jungle um, like Singapore. And, and, you know, obviously that removal from the process is something that helps sort of um, keep that, that system going. Right. So how do we um, in Singapore try to, try to you know, bridge that gap? Uh, one thing we're trying to do is um, launching an animal sanctuary tour. Um, so there is in Malaysia an animal sanctuary um, that is not perfect um, by any means, but it exists and they have all sorts of different farmed animals uh, there that have been rescued. And so we're, we're working on planning trips to get people over there so that they can see these animals for, for what they are and, yeah. and see them uh, in that way. Um, you... Uh, the other, I mean, moral moral outreach is actually the hardest because people really don't, especially like when you're out doing outreach in the public, they don't really want to know, you know, it's like yeah. oftentimes they're out at an event and they, they want to be focused on something else about the event. So to get them to stop and, you know, say watch a video to show, you know, what's happening or, uh, you know, we do the virtual reality thing now, um, but very few people really actually want to stop and say yes i want to i want to know yeah uh, and, th and that's the hardest part um is the moral outreach um so we try our best <laughs> you know we're actually more successful through the environmental and health angles mm -hmm. uh, at getting people to engage with us mm -hmm. but when we do the moral engagement it's a lot harder and uh you know it's, we, we keep trying to to improve but it's 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 a hard hard yeah. play yeah are there any so you have your group. Are there any other big groups or kind of, um, in the U S there's kind of, you, you probably know some of them, uh, sort of celebrity, uh, endorsers of, of veganism, uh, kind of celebrity doctors, if you will, um, that are, you know, becoming a lot more prominent with social media and things like that. Um, like uh, names like Dr. Greger and uh, Dr. Esselstyn and these kind of big names in the U.S. and in, in plant-based. Are there any personalities or big organizations like that in Singapore? Um, there's... Yeah, there's not really. A, yeah, there's there's not that yet. Um, we we would like to get there, um, but yeah, so far we don't have have that aspect. We don't have like you know our our Ellens, you know that you know it's, it's really good right. vegan advocates in the celebrity side, and and we don't. I mean, we do have plant based doctors here, but they you know so far haven't really broken out and tried to be to to really appeal to to a large large audience uh, effectively um so i think we we have you know that in place in terms of they're here it's about finding a way to get them get their message out more yeah. and more so so that's another thing that you know will hopefully come through as as animal allies sorts of grows um i mean we do have larger organizations here that are um advocating veganism to a certain extent. Um, so we have one called Kampong Sanong, and they, um, they do various things. Um, one of them is Green and Healthy Monday, which is trying to get you know, plant-based foods on Mondays into schools and different things like that. And uh, you know, they, they do want the world to be vegan. 
Um, but a lot of times, most of the people in the organization themselves don't actually follow a vegan diet or a vegan lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, you know, the, the, when you have that gap, um, you know, it's a little bit hard sometimes. Uh, we also have the Tzu Chi Foundation, which started in Taiwan, and now it's global, and it's, it, it does many, many great things. They also advocate veganism. But again, most of the people that are in the organization aren't vegan themselves, so it's... Uh, and most of them, you know, generally do not go through the animal rights perspective. So both Kampong Sanong and Suchi are more through the Buddhist philosophy, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, you know, that kind of thing. And Animal Allies is really the only one that, that has this animal rights aspect to it, where these animals have rights to not be killed, to have their own space, not be owned as property, etc. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that's we're kind of on our own there, and it's it's hard to find um, a lot of people that really see that aspect of it. Um, we see a lot of uh, vegans uh, that are very much into it for the health aspect um, or the environment aspect, um, but they might not really get philosophically to the animal rights aspect. Yeah. Do you think the culture? Um here in Singapore makes spreading the word a little more difficult. And what I mean by that is in the U S when you really believe something, you, you know, start a YouTube channel, you, you know, start a website, you start a podcast like I've done. Right. (laughs) And, and you really, you preach it and you, you want to make a change and you want to get your word out and you do everything you can in Singapore. Uh, what I'm getting and I think in a lot of Asia, it's kind of like, you know, keep your head down and, you know, do your job and, uh, you know, stay out of the government's way in a sense. I mean, there isn't that, uh, at least it doesn't seem like there's that kind of level of uh, just really speaking your mind and, and being uh, filmed all the time <laughs> and putting videos up and things like that. Um, would you agree there? It's a it's a different culture for sure, and it's a, a different style. Like in, in, in Singapore, it's a different style of government as well, and there's a different level of freedom of speech and, yes. and all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, we do our own brand of activism here that's very positive, and um, you know, we we again we we want to help whether it's a person, an organization, or government's uh, you know agency. Uh, we just want to help them reach their goals and, and help them realize that what we want and what they want are actually one and the same mm-hmm. and that we can be allies together. And so that's what we try to focus on. Um, the things that, you know, you, you might see with more direct action that that might happen in Australia or, or the U.S., um, you know, those kinds of things, if they were to happen in Singapore, um, would not be very effective um, at all. It, it, mm. would, it, would, it would sort of backfire in many ways. It's just not not the place to do those those kinds of outreaches so all of our stuff is very positive inspiring and and we do our best um within within that i like it i like it so what is next for animal allies oh (laughs) it's hard to say because we have uh you know this volunteer base where it depends who volunteers and who picks what project and who does, you know, this or that. So it's always hard to say where things will go. Um, but I, am happy with the momentum that we've built and hopefully we'll, we'll start to see, uh, you know, more, 
I guess, uh, more people getting out of their comfort zones and trying new projects that, you know, garner more attention. And uh, we, we talk a lot about effective activism and trying to think about, you know, how can we save the most amount of animals with, you know, the, this amount of money or this amount of time. And hopefully that will lead to just, you know, better and better activism all the time. And yeah. Cool. Well, before I get a couple last questions for you, yeah. but uh, before I ask him, uh, I want to thank you for what you're doing because it is super cool. You have a very positive approach to it, it seems like, and a very, um, I guess, positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very right. positive and the way you're kind of, you talk about it and say, especially when it comes to the government, you know, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. Um, and taking that positive approach instead of, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of vegans, especially in the U.S., that can be very negative and be very, um, <clears throat> I don't know what the word is, but uh, offensive. And, you know, if you're you're either all vegan or you're all not, yeah, um, yeah. when, you know, small changes like you know, eating less meat and trying not to buy as much leather or whatever, just small changes are things I believe we should be encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love your approach and your positivity and uh, everything you're doing in Singapore. And uh, so I salute you for that. Oh, thank um, you, yeah. So last couple questions. My, uh, my business focuses more on the health side, but we focus on everything. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, for somebody out there right now in Singapore or wherever in the world that's listening to this, that is listening to this for educational reasons, they're, they want to make a change in their health. They want to, um, you know, have an impact in the world. Um, what do you recommend they can do today to, you know, take action to either get their health under control or kind of make more meaningful daily decisions what would you recommend yeah i think uh, the first thing is really find your your why like mm. really you know find out why you want to do this and uh, i really think the best ways are, are generally documentaries because they they have some really powerful stories um that that can inspire people and i think when you find your why um everything else will fall into place because you'll you'll have that self-motivation uh, to make it happen. And that, you know, generally, you know, when you're starting out, and especially if you're in an area where people don't embrace veganism, where there's a small community is just, you know, get online and, you know, find other people that are on the same journey as you. And, you know, having, you know, people that you can talk to that understand and uh, people you can ask questions to without getting, you know, judgmental answers and all those kinds of things is, is really an important part of that process. That support network is really, really important to helping everybody reach their goals. Mm, I like it. All right, one more for you. Yeah. So my brand is called Eat Green, Make Green. Uh, that essentially to me means I know that eating green, eating plant-based puts me in the best position to succeed at whatever it is I do and reach whatever goals I have. Um, that's kind of the, the make green portion of it. So what does make green mean to you? Why do you live a plant-based lifestyle? Uh, well, I, I live a plant-based lifestyle, uh, 
essentially, I think that the most important reason for me now is because I want to reduce harm in the world. And so it's it's not only the direct harm that's being caused to the animals that, that are, you know, in the food system, but, um, you know, as I learned more over the years is that, you know, there's a moral harm to every person that, you know, is indoctrinated into being blind to the suffering of these animals. You know, it harms them. Uh, it, it lowers the compassion of us as, as a civilization, which, you know, bleeds off into other areas of the world. And I think it bleeds off into other world problems, uh, this lack of compassion, you know, and, you know, it's the harm of the people that, you know, work in the slaughterhouses and they end up having, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder because they're killing thousands of animals a day. You know, these are people that don't have a choice. You know, they're usually in a, a lower economic situation where they're forced to take whatever job. And especially, you know, in, in the U.S., a lot of times they're just, they're given no health care and they're discarded if they get injured on the job. Uh, it affects their families, alcoholism, and, and all those kinds of things. So in Asia here, we have, you know, in the seafood industry, we have people who were slaves. You know, their passport's taken away, they're put on a ship, and they, they go fishing and bring in this unsustainable and, you know, slave-caught, um, you know, uh, seafood. So, you know, there's a lot of harm that goes into there. And then, you know, when we when we blow it up to the global scale of, uh, you know, the fact that we're in the sixth mass extinction now, and that's being driven by our deforestation, you know, which is being driven by our desire for meat. Um, you know, that's a lot of animals being killed, but uh, at the same time, it's also polluting the water and the land of, of people, uh, you know, and so that's affecting their health and, and not only, con you know, consuming the animal products to, to an excess now is contributing to so, many, so, so much human suffering through health. And then to the, the climate change of people who are, you know, losing, you know, the islands they live on uh, and to... to all, all the all the other predicted things in terms of food shortages in the future due to the the droughts and the unpredictable climate you know there's so much human suffering uh, and when animal agriculture is such a major driver of climate change that you know I'm vegan because I really want to minimize the amount of harm my choices cause every day and it's it's not to say that you avoid creating all harm in the world uh, that's, that's pretty well impossible is that there's always something harmed in a process but the idea is trying to minimize as much as you can the amount of harm you cause and and always trying to to create less harm and less harm and do better and do better and I think that's you know why I do it I love it that was beautifully said. <laughs> cool. I think we did it, man. All right. Thanks Thank so you. much. Yeah. You got it. It's fun. Pleasure to have you. All right. Great stuff there with Michael. I find it interesting that all the people I speak with that are well-traveled and have seen the different perspectives of people around the world tend to be vegan. They see things uh, clearer, perhaps, and have a more uh, worldwide view on things. And I really think that says something. I highly encourage you to hop over to animalallies.sg, especially if you live in Singapore. There's all kinds of information about where to shop, where to eat, 
Uh, there's always events going on about uh, vegan education. So hop over to animalallies.sg. For those that are interested in adopting a plant-based lifestyle, you're in luck. That's what I do. I work with men and women all over the world to adopt this lifestyle, to heal inflammation, to get off their medications and treat their health at the source, which is with diet and lifestyle. My program called Seven Weeks for the Rest of Your Life is designed to teach you exactly how to transition into a healthier lifestyle and I give you all the tools, all the resources, everything you need to adopt this lifestyle and apply it to your life for years to come. For more information on my course, pop over to eatgreenmakegreen.com slash coaching. I'll see you guys on the next episode. Have a great week. <music>